McShane Bible Study, Day 139, and we are starting in Numbers 28, and this is all about food offerings. So I believe, I haven't studied and compared, but I believe he's repeating everything here, but he's showing the importance of giving the food offerings. It's important because it helped take care of the priesthood, the Levites, that would uh, take care of the people, right? And it was important for the people because they were giving in each of these circumstances, daily offerings, Sabbath offerings, monthly offerings, and then it goes into two of the holidays, Passover offerings and Feast of Weeks offerings. And so by continually giving of the blessing from God, you're continually remembering God and trusting in God, right? Mm-hmm. And... And then, of course, the holidays have special meaning. And so by, by again, giving towards those, you're, you're remembering, celebrating the meaning behind those. I'm, I've been working on a little writing to further uh, talk about the, uh, the Feast of Weeks in general. Shav- I prefer to call it Shavuot. Most people call it Pentecost. Um, and... I believe the Lord showed me some kind of cool things about this year's holiday, and I'm writing that. So if you're listening to this, depending on what time you listen, I might have that on kingdomcalling.com slash blog, but I have not finished it yet, so I don't know what time. I'm hoping to get it published today. Um, but talking a little bit about entering the promised land is the short version. Um, this year lines up with the year... Joshua entered the promised land. If you add that to what I talked about the other day, then that's kind of the high points. But that's all I have for today uh, for this chapter. And so next we move to Psalm 72. And I believe this psalm would have been written, well, it says up Solomon. It says Solomon wrote it. I believe he wrote this very early on. His dad had just died. And so he starts out the psalm, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. So he's he's praying to God that God gives him uh, righteousness and justice in order to rule the people with, right? Mm -hmm. And and he goes on, most of this psalm is just worshiping the Lord, which is wonderful. I'm talking about the Lord loves, you know, the poor and the humble, and he raises them up. And he kind of ends it with, starting in 18, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. I love that line. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. That is, of course, where we're going. That will be the end. But such a beautiful picture. But then the last verse says, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. So I think that's how he's basically saying. Because David offered many prayers, right? We, I often, or at least used to think, that well, it's a shame we didn't have like a book of David, like we have other books. But so, he wrote so many psalms. We have so much from him. Um, and each psalm was a prayer, right? And so he's saying, you know, those Prayers of David are ended. And so I believe this is the kind of the beginning of Solomon's reign. 
And next we're doing Isaiah 19 and 20, and, and we didn't put these together. Uh, McShane did. Uh, so it's, it's a little strange to read together, although they're, they're related. Uh, Isaiah 19 is a prophecy that for the most part, some of it applies to their immediate future, but most of it applies to what is still the future for us 2,500 years later. Um, then chapter 20 is about what actually happened in the physical during Isaiah's life, right? So the Isaiah 19, and we referenced this yesterday because we see prophetically, we see in Cush a start of a people of God rising up for his purposes, right? And then we move to Egypt, which is primarily, but also Assyria is dealt with in this chapter. So the chapter starts, an oracle concerning Egypt. Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt, and the idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence, and the heart of the Egyptians will melt within them. And I will stir up Egyptians against Egyptians, and they will fight against sorry, and they will fight each against another, and each against his neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. Now remember when we read uh prophecy, uh it can be exactly literal about the the cities or nations or people that he's speaking about. Uh or it can be, um, you know, metaphysical, can have spiritual nature where it's a metaphor, it, it represents something else, or often it's both. And so I believe it's, it's both in this case. I believe we will see, uh, as we get to the end of this chapter, Egypt and Assyria transformed in a highway of holiness between them and Israel. Um, but also it rep- Egypt represents the carnal life the way of living as the world lives. And so when we see, we see confusion in this right here, Egyptian fighting against Egyptian, and he's going to go on, I'm not going to read it all, but they go through terrible difficulties. They have a fierce ruler over them. It's basically, they're in terrible times, right? Um, And so we see God judging the Egyptians' ways we can also apply that to him judging the ways of the world. You see that? And verse 14 says, The Lord has mingled within her a spirit of confusion, and they will make Egypt stagger in all its deeds, as a drunken man staggers in his vomit. So, that that's, if you look around at the state of the world, we're getting there real quick. I know, I don't share much news with you, Weston, but it's crazy out there. Um, you know, the Lord has us set apart from that. So it's, it doesn't affect us, but it's going on out there, right? Um, and then verse 18, In that day there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. One of these will be called the city of destruction. Apparently some versions also have that as the city of the sun, uh, S-U-N. So here we see, points of light popping up within Egypt, right? So within this world that's being judged and condemned and going through terrible times, the people that have always trusted in the strength of Egypt all of a sudden are miserable and scared. And now you see five points of light popping up, five cities that worship the Lord and know the Lord. Again, there's a parallel here between uh, God's remnant people within the world 
mm-hmm. being able to show the way to a hurting, broken world. But, but also, again, I, I believe this will happen in, in the country of Egypt. Uh, verse 19, In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt, and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt when they cry to the Lord because of oppressors. He will send them a savior and defender and deliver them. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering. And they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. So you hear, you see a people of Egypt coming to the Lord. Here you see a people of the world that have realized worldly ways don't work, all of a sudden hungry to know the Lord, coming to the Lord. New Testament talks about this being a great harvest, right? 22, and the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing, and they will return to the Lord, and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. So it's kind of a summation verse where he says that the Lord has brought the difficulty so that people will wake up and turn to him, and he will bless them and heal them, right? The the striking... The suffering, the difficulties are actually a blessing because it wakes us up to what's real so we can receive the Lord instead of ignoring him because we didn't really take it seriously or we didn't know about it at all, right? 23, in that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria and Assyria will come into Egypt and Egypt into Assyria and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. So you had Assyria as this vicious, powerful, uh, conquering ruler country. You had Israel being the people of God. You had uh, Egypt being this kind of worldly people that the people of God had come out of. And now you see a highway of holiness where there are some within each category that are walking together in the way of the Lord. A, a new way. These, are, these were three distinct cultures. But now a new way is taking shape above and beyond the, the ways, the, the former ways, right? And then chapter 20, he, he starts talking about a sign against <laughs> Egypt. How would you like to be an Old Testament prophet? Where uh, he made Isaiah walk around naked for three years. <laughs> he made other people do worse things <laughs> but Isaiah had to walk around naked for three years and then in verse 3 the, the Lord said as my servant Isaiah has walked naked and barefoot for three years as a sign and a portent against Egypt and Cush so shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptian captives and the Cushite exiles so what's happened is the people of God were trusting in Egypt to protect them from Assyria because Assyria was more powerful than them. But instead of trusting in God, they were trusting in the world, right? They were trusting in Egypt, who was also a powerful nation. So they said, let's pay off Egypt to protect us, and then we don't have to worry about Assyria. And God says, you're supposed to turn to me, not the world, right? And so he says, I'm going to have Assyria conquer Egypt, just to show you, you are focusing on the wrong thing. Right? Just as the world crumbles around us and we see, oh wait, the ways of the world, (laughs) there's really no wisdom in that. The people that act like they have wisdom don't know anything. Verse 6, And the inhabitants of this coastland will say in that day, 
Behold, this is what has happened to those in whom we hoped and to whom we fled for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria. And we, how shall we escape? So again, the people will realize, wait a minute, there's no, there's no strength, there's no wisdom in the world. I can't depend on that. Who do I depend on? Who should I depend on? And now we have an opening for a people turning to the Lord. You see how God works? Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing, huh? And we are going to finish in Second Peter chapter 1. It's a circular letter. He's writing to all believers. And I, I'm going to start in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. He writes longer uh, run-on sentences than I do. I think I heard one time that they didn't use punctuation back then, so somebody later comes along and adds the punctuation. Um, But that was one sentence, as the ESV has it. So his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So the power of God has given us everything to to allow us into this eternal life and godliness, being like God, right? Mm -hmm. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So how do we obtain it? by the knowledge of Jesus who called us into his glory and excellence. So he obtained glory and excellence by the obedient life that he lived to the Father. Because of that life, he has glory and excellence. And as we have knowledge of him, and this isn't just a head knowledge, like we've, read the, we've got the Bible memorized, we know everything there is to know. This is a knowledge like a living out. So yes, there's head knowledge, but it's also, it's a living out this way, right? Knowledge is not worth much if it's all in your head. But if it, if it's how you live, then it's applied knowledge, right? That's what he's talking about here. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So we have these amazing promises of God, of his plans for us, which are eternal, which are, I mean, he wants us to be his sons inheriting all of creation, being the go-between between God and creation for all eternity, mm-hmm. ruling and reigning and teaching of the goodness of God. What could be better than that? Right? There's nothing. He says, but so by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. So divine nature means God's nature. It means through these promises and this grace that's been given to us, we can begin to live this life here and now. Mm-hmm. Right? That's not taught very much in the church, but that's God's purpose, that we become like God here and now. He gradually transforms us to be like God, to have his wisdom, his truth, his love, so that we can share of this goodness to the world, right? To creation, to things we can't even mm-hmm. see with our eyes. And see, so where did it leave off? Having escaped 
from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So this is actually powerful how it relates to what we just read in Isaiah because it's the exact picture of God getting people's attention of a decrepit, sinful world and the misery in it and saying there's a better way. Well, here Peter's talking about the exact same thing except he's making it personal to us. He's saying that this life is there for you. It involves escaping, in other words, leaving the corruption that is the world and Sinful desire means the, the ways in which our flesh would uh, entice us into that world. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, only God can do these things. But we can continually offer ourselves to God so that he accomplishes these things in us. And when he brings something to our awareness of a way in which we are living unto the flesh or unto the world, we repent, we hand that over to God, and we say, God, I want to turn away from this, help me turn away from this. If it's easy for us to stop doing, we stop doing it. If it's something we need help with, we continually seek the Lord until we're free from that thing, right? Mm-hmm. He, so he's saying, it, it, he said, God is the one doing all this, but you have to give yourself to it. Verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So he said, look, what God has done for you. Mm-hmm. If you understand that, shouldn't you give yourself to this purpose? Like, he said, you're blind. If, if you realize this wonderful, eternal blessing God has given you, but you don't actually spend your life pursuing the fullness of this thing, then you're blind. It's a pretty powerful, pretty damning statement, right? So he says, wake up. Verse 10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. That is a bit controversial. <laughs> the, church, the Bible would be very controversial to many people's theologies if they read it. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. So he says, be active in your seeking the Lord confirm your calling and election that you're on the path that God has for you and you have not gotten off track. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. In other words, as long as we're diligently seeking the Lord with a true heart, he's even when we make mistakes, we aren't falling in any kind of permanent way. He will continue to set us on the right track so long as we continue to seek him, right? So, we have to be able to handle both sides of that coin or both edges of that sword. On one hand, he wants us to pursue him, pursue perfection, pursue righteousness, pursue all these things. On the other hand, we always have to do it with the understanding that we are still trapped in a fallen body. In a, We grew up in a culture that is not of the Lord. We're in a world ruled by our enemy. And we need God to pull us out of all that, right? So anytime we're aware we make a mistake, it, it, once we start to really seek this path, uh, uh, you know, before we acknowledge the Lord, the enemy spends all his time 
trying to convince us there's no such thing as God, right? Once we truly acknowledge the Lord and we're walking with him, the enemy will switch gears and try to teach us that, oh, we can never approach God because our sins are so bad, right? Mm -hmm. Peter's saying, no, you will never fall as long as you continue to seek the Lord. He will raise you up. Continue in your way and he will bring this about in you because that is his purpose for you. Verse 11, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he says, by following this way, we will actually be able to enter the kingdom of God, which is his plan. You know, Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, how did he say to pray about the kingdom? Your kingdom come, your will Mm -hmm. be done on earth as it is in heaven, that God's kingdom come on earth. That mm-hmm. must happen. And so he's Peter's saying, this is the way in. Give yourself fully to the Lord. Now, the problem is, again, we can deceive ourselves. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I give myself to the Lord. But then we spend, you know, all our time focusing on things of the world or the flesh. Um, so this is both an encouragement and an admonishment to seek the Lord because this is the promise. This is what he's doing. And also, as we see... Here, and what we saw, especially in Isaiah, the Lord is going to shake things up. He said in Haggai, and it's uh, quoted in Hebrews, that uh, everything that can be shaken will be shaken, so that only that which cannot be shaken will be left. In other words, God is so determined to bring this about. He will shake everything to get everyone's attention, so that only those who are not shaken, or those parts of us that are grounded in Him and can't be shaken, are left and everything else crumbles so that we can say, God, I need you for all these parts of my life where I've been missing you. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. All right, that's all I have for today. Do you have anything else? No. God bless you. God bless you.